They say love is patient, they say love is kind Marriage on the other hand takes those things plus wine Spousing is a journey, not for the faint of heart Being married to a human is a science and an art Hey Lauren! Hey Katie! How you doing? I am so excited. I know you are. You've been like jazzed all day about our conversation tonight. I am. <laughs> this is such a rich, fertile bed of. I've been thinking about ancient Egypt, so I'm thinking about the fertile crescent. <laughs> oh, your tone right now is reminding me so much of what the vlog brothers say about how enthusiasm is so attractive. You are so cute right now. How excited you are! Enthusiasm is a form of social courage. It is. It is. I had and that in my nice. wedding vows. Oh, you this you believe. I really deeply do. So what are we talking about that you're so excited about? Okay, so tonight we are going to be reviewing marriage advice. Ooh. Yeah. You know so, I love you know I love some uh, advice solicited or or not. Or not. And generally, <laughs> I think in terms of marriage advice, it is not solicited. Mhm. <laughs> Did you get marriage advice? Uh, like by the bushel full when you guys announced an engagement or you started thinking about marriage? Um, yeah, I'm trying to think if I got any good or like any advice that stood out. Um, a lot of advice about communicating, but I was like, I'm a therapist. Like, yeah, I get it. Um, <laughs> uh, I was like, if anything, I need to stop. I need to communicate less, actually. Yes, uh, I um, can relate. Uh, yeah. Um, we also... I think we got some advice about, um, I know we've gotten bad advice from my parents. I know we've gotten bad advice from my dad and my stepmom, but I don't know some sexist advice probably about like happy wife, happy life or like, Mm -hmm. um, stuff like that. What about you? Well, and this is definitely going to be a series of episodes that we're going to do because this is such a rich area, even in terms of the research as well. Um, my dad, Famously gave Caitlin some very excellent advice for when, uh, so Caitlin, it was important to me that Caitlin not ask for permission, but ask for my parents' blessing, um, when we were getting engaged. And so she, um, I actually think she and my dad went for like a pedicure or something and they were talking and, uh, that's really she, cute on both Caitlin and your dad's behalf. That's yeah, so cute. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I know. My dad is a pedicure man. He is a 30 year Navy, Navy vet and like, avid hunter like whatever but like man likes a soft toe um so So does my dad yeah and i yeah my dad says that the first thing the first impression you make in a professional setting is with your hands oh i agree and that is Mm -hmm. not that should not is not and should not be a gendered thing but anyway um so they were talking and he he told my he told my dad told caitlin you need to build a picket fence around Uh, your relationship and everything that happens in your lives happens outside of the picket fence so that's your jobs that is your social relationships it's your families it's your children all of that stuff has to exist outside the picket fence of your marriage Mm -hmm. and I actually think that is the best marriage advice that I can and I and I that very much resonates with me and and through the journey of marriage I've learned that when my picket fence when things are okay in my picket fence and everything else is shit I'm okay but when yeah. things are fine in the world and my marriage, there's a problem. I am not okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? Okay, so now 
first of all, that is marriage advice that I've gotten from you via or from your dad via you. So that is really good advice. And I love the idea that really reinforces some um, good advice. And I, I didn't get this from a person that I knew, but instead of you versus me, it's us versus the problem. Yes. And the picket, fi- the picket fence analogy kind of really drives that home. Yeah, you know? absolutely. My dad got that from the priest that married them who has other issues, but that piece of advice was very sound. Yeah. Yeah. You know, my, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, my dad did give me really good advice one time. And I think that this, I think about this a lot that one time I called my dad cause I was trying, this was early on, this was not marriage advice so much as it was like long-term relationship advice um, because I was not engaged nor was I married at that point. But uh-huh. my Mark was doing something that was really frustrating me and I didn't understand it and I needed a straight guy's advice on it, like point of view on it mm-hmm. from somebody who loved me and was, would advocate. I knew I needed a particular person, somebody that loved me dearly, but would likely advocate for the position of the straight man in the situation. So I called my father. Uh-huh. Um, exactly. And my dad said to me, I was complaining and he goes, let me ask you a question, Kat. Is Mark a good guy? And I said, yeah, he's a really good guy. And he said, does he have your best interest at heart? And I said, yeah, definitely. And he said, is this something you can let go? And I said, probably. You know, and now I don't even remember what it was. And I know that, like, that was not so much advice as it was just, like, I reflect on that so much that, like, is he a good guy? Does he love me? Can I let this? Is this something to Can let I go? Can I let this go? Yeah. I really, I like that. That's really yeah. good. That's yeah. very good. Well, and you've also given me It's a Long Marriage, which I I don't know how I got that from you. I don't know if that's one of your things that you say or if that just came across in this podcast sometimes. That's a, but like, that's a Sandyism that life is long. Life is long, and so is my marriage. And so, like, mm-hmm. that goes right along with, like, is tonight the night after three glasses of wine that I need to bring up this thing? No. No. Marriage is long. <laughs> marriage is long. <laughs> exactly. So what do you have for us to so, pick apart? I went to Instagram and asked um, our listeners and some of my friends and people and just asked, what is the most common marriage advice that you've been given? And it is so interesting to see the feedback because some people would, a lot of people talked about the same pieces of advice and said, this is the best advice. And then on the reverse, people would talk about the same piece of advice and be like, this is total bullshit. Uh, so it's really, really interesting. Everything exists in the gray area, y'all. So we're just going to unpack it. The opposite of a universal truth is also true. This is okay, so I want to, st- uh-huh, that's something Gretchen Rubin says, and I feel uh-huh. her. Yeah. Um, so I want to start with them, probably the most common marriage advice that I would think. So if I'm thinking of this advice, what do you think it is? Don't go to bed angry. Yes, that's it. Yeah. Don't go to bed angry. So this one, I have a sweet story. So Caitlin, when she talked to her parents about uh, marriage, like the fact that she was thinking about marriage and she was getting ready to propose, um, her dad famously said, you know, marriage, you, you just, you can't, you don't go to bed angry. Your mm-hmm. mom and I, we never go to bed angry. Well, sometimes we go to bed angry. <laughs> She's really angry, you know. Well, But then, you know, we always make up in the morning. <laughs> Which is like my favorite thing. Yeah, that's, that's actually the good advice. You never go to bed angry until you do. And then you make up in the morning. <laughs> exactly. Except sometimes. Okay. Yeah. So I've been thinking about this a lot because I am definitely a person who used to never want to go to bed angry. And I think I want to talk about this in like the uh, macro, like 
sense because yes, there's the go to bed part, but also just like you, you know, you are always telling us to strike when the iron's cold. Yeah, that that this is the same piece of advice. So it's like you just don't. Okay, so you don't need to to address all every issue when the when that issue is hot and in front of you. And in fact, you probably should not, because when you are an emotion mind, then you are a lot more likely to react instead of respond, and rarely does anything good come from reacting in a relationship. Absolutely. So um, Berkeley did a study of this phenomenon, and they, they talked specifically, they had 26 um, participants ages 18 to 30, put them in groups of males and female, like equal number of male and females, I think they were heterosexuals. Um, this, then they had like some, one first group stayed awake for a day, a night, and a second day. And the second group stayed awake both days and then slept normally during the night. So that was your like control. So in the context of this experiment, the emotional centers of the brain were 60% more reactive in the sleep deprived group. Wow. 60% more reactive. Yeah. I mean, and I believe that 100%. And I talk to this about, or like, which is really good to say because you're talking about not like bedtime and being sleepy. Um, and also, I don't know. I'm just thinking about like on the time, the times that Mark and I tend to fight in the evenings tend to be like when we're coming back in on a Saturday night from having been out with some friends and like uh-huh. a conversation gets sparked after we've both had two drinks and like it's 1130 at night. And that is just never a good time to have that conversation, any conversation. But the other part of that is, is that like anybody who looks at a toddler knows that you're not going to be acting rationally if you're tired. You're just not. And you're I'm not. not saying that ration, like reason, you know me, I do not believe that reason and rationality are like, I do not worship the mind at all. Yeah. However, I know that sometimes we're a lot less likely to see things clearly. And we're also a lot more, we're disinhibited when we're cranky. Yes. So there's actually, there's this, I, I will put the link to the study in the show notes because there is a, a, um, brain imaging, uh, part of this study and it talks about the amygdala which is the emotional part of the brain and uh-huh. it's so much more active when you're sleep deprived like really if you can see it like on and i'm not a brain like expert in any way shape or form but i just by looking at this picture you can see there's parts of the brain the the amygdala are totally lit up when they're yeah. sleep deprived and totally not. I mean, not totally not, but like much to much smaller degree when they're not. When yeah. You, and we when don't, you have a normal sleep pattern. It's amazing. And we don't even need those brain scans because you and me also both know that like, sometimes we just cry when we're tired, you know, yes. like sometimes okay. I just like, I just need to cry a little bit. <laughs> but here's the thing. Not everybody knows that. Like, uh, I, and I know that within the scope of my marriage, I can tell, like, I, Caitlin worked night shift for a long time, and there were a lot of things that we had to really come to, that we were, like, had to come to an understanding of this is happening, This these emotions aren't at me or at our relationship, this is happening because you're responding to sleep deprivation. Often, and this is really apparent in soldiers in combat zones, medical residents, and even new parents, obviously new parents. This is a huge thing that comes for that those groups of people who are sleep deprived mm-hmm. by the very nature of their lives. I'm going to warn you in one moment, my dog is about to go crazy because Mark is just getting home and she's going to hear him and you're going to hear it, podcast listeners. Um, so I, yes, you're exactly right that that like the emotional reactivity is 
is higher. Um, oh, there it is. Okay. Hi, husband. Happening. happening currently. Dog stepping on my neck. Okay. All right. Sorry, y'all. This is the reality of being a podcaster and um, somebody with an unruly pet. <laughs> and now I don't remember what we were talking about. So, uh, I was yeah. talking about the way the brain responds. Yes. The way that the brain responds to the way that the brain responds when it's exhausted or sleep deprived. All of that is to say that when you are like emotionally activated at night, it's probably not a good time to have a conversation where the stakes might be high because you are very unlikely to not only is your emotional regulation decreased, but also your like decision making and critical Mm -hmm. thinking skills are decreased and so you are a lot more likely to create more damage than if you were to just go to sleep (laughs) and then solve the problem in the morning (laughs) so the study the writers of the study wrote it's almost as though without sleep the brain had reverted back to more primitive patterns of activity in that it was unable to put emotional experiences into context and produced controlled appropriate responses wait can i ask you before we go any deeper into like why we don't like this advice or like why that advice is not great why do you think that this advice exists like what do you think that the advice is trying to communicate to us okay so the people who responded on on my social media like all call said this forces them to sit down and talk things through and perhaps perhaps in a way that it might not have otherwise done it so i think the the pro don't go to bed angry lobby would say This is something, don't let things lie. Resolve issues. So when I was younger, I always interpreted it as you could die in the middle of the night and you want to, you don't want to go to bed without like loving each other. And both things, I think, both messages, I think are kind of bullshit because the first message, you and I are big believers. Like it's a long marriage. We do not need to worry about fixing everything now. That's such a like super aggressive way to think about your life and about the thing that's not a growth mindset, right? Like a growth mindset says it's a long life. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, I think that's really true. Wait, can I respond I, to the other thing too before? Remember what you're about to say because I'm afraid yes, that I, I will forget it. The other mm-hmm. thing is that actually, you know what? You respond to that and then making sure that we come back to what if you die in the middle of the night? Okay. You okay, respond. what if you die in the middle of the night? Okay, okay well, the another part of this is that the basis of this idea of like don't go to bed angry is biblical. So is it? Few, no way. Ephesians 4, 26, 27. Uh, Ephesians usually getting it right about love. uh, Yeah. And you know what? (laughs) I think the the boiled down truth of this is still true. So what the... the Classic Bible. Always being true when you boil it down. Exactly. Girl, you got to take out that that social context. You got to take out that weird context. (laughs) Ephesians 4, 26 through 27 says, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. So I think there's really good stuff there in that in that particular passage talking about you don't need to make decisions when you're in that heightened anger state. Oh, a hundred percent. In fact, you shouldn't. Now, you shouldn't. It's the better advice would be. Don't make any decisions when you're angry, not don't go to bed when you're angry. And in fact, it should be go to bed angry and then make a decision in the morning when you wake up. <laughs> right. And I, but I, what I think they mean, Sleep what, what I think, and I, I can talk uh, very biblically or scholarly, uh, biblical scholarly about this because 
<laughs> and I've been saying that facetiously because what this is trying to say is that you shouldn't sit on issues forever and ever. Mm. You should not let things like snowball into a giant thing. And I yeah. think that's true. Now, I think that that is true, but we shouldn't, again, classic Bible, we shouldn't take it 100% literally and say, right, that the first day, to be today. <laughs> within 24 hours. Right, because you know what? Like, I know for myself that oftentimes an issue happens, Mark says something that I don't like, in the five minutes before he leaves for work or something that hurts my feelings, and I might want to solve it right now, and we could say, you know... If it's, if it's don't, don't go to bed angry, you know, depending on how you interpret it, it could be don't leave each other's side angry. And so like, then we'd have to sit there and be late for work and work out the problem. So it's, yeah, I think that if you take the spirit of it as don't let your problems go on too long, there could be some wisdom there. That's what I, that's what I think they're saying, because I feel like there's a lot of allegory in the Bible that no one wants to let it have. But I don't think I don't think that people ultimately use that advice to mean that, right? Like okay. the way that people say it, Lauren, like when I hear people say it, they say it to mean literally, do not go to bed angry, right? Like that's some like figure your stuff out because you know, you don't want to go to bed upset. And I have always that's why I've always interpreted it as like you don't want to and maybe I try to think about it as I can be angry and frustrated at Mark and always have that. Have I told you about my the clear blue sky metaphor? And yeah. like, and so in Headspace is where I first le- learned this metaphor, um, the, the meditation app. The metaphor is that no matter what's going on in your brain, there's always a clear blue sky behind the storm. So like, as no matter what cloudiness, no matter what storm is going on, as, like you can get behind the clouds and get to a clear blue sky that's always there. And so for me with loving Mark, I liked, and the same thing with kids. I think about it as like, we can have storms. I can be furious at you. We can have clouds. Like I can be frustrated. I can be disappointed, but right. remembering that there's always the clear blue sky, like yeah. I'm not going to bed. I'm, I'm ultimately not going to bed angry because if we were to die, and probably the reason I interpreted that is because of whatever that weird poem that kids used, or like that prayer that kids did when they were kids about if I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord yeah. my soul to take. Yeah. So I was mm-hmm. constantly thinking about what would happen if I died in my sleep as a little. Is kid. this what you were gonna say? Read. Well, yes, yes, yes. This whole thing is what I was gonna say. Is that ultimately I think that like it's okay to go to bed angry because as long as you know that there is that clear blue sky and that foundation of love then it's okay to go to bed with those emotions. You know, like if Mark, mm-hmm. if we were to have a fight, first of all, I don't think that no matter how angry we've ever been, I don't think we've ever gone to bed without kissing and saying, I love you. Um, but if we were to have a fight in the middle of the night, I would be kind of annoyed and pissed that our last day was fighting, but I would not have any doubt that Mark would have known that I loved him. And that's and if how I go I to bed in the middle of the night. You mean die in the middle of the night. That's what I meant. Yes. 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 Okay. And that's why if I, if I die after I go, whatever. Yes. That's exactly what I mean. So that's kind of how I've always interpreted it to me. And like, don't go to bed angry, meaning like, remember yeah. that, remember that your feelings right now are not the thing that matters there's the a, most. There's a clear blue sky behind it. Yeah. I really like that. I think, I think I feel the same, but the way I've always kind of rationalized it is that I, I think Caitlin and I can go to bed without having solved our problem, but we don't generally go to bed angry. Because I think Carrie, like, and I think there's a difference there because you can have an, a non-resolved, like an unresolved issue, but there, but 
That's, yeah. I think what the, what I feel when I try to go to sleep in that space is that clear blue sky. Like I try to think like, okay, this is a thing. It's me and you against the problem and we're going to work on it. We're not there yet, but I love you and uh, we're going to like, you know. Yeah, no, Mark, I have had to be okay with the fact because Mark won't give me that kind of like, uh, and by give me that, I mean like I can get to that place easily. But for Mark, it's really, really hard for him to speak with that kind of like tone when he's in an angry place. And so the best that I can get from him typically is a, I don't hate you. I still love you. I'm not divorcing you. But like, do not freaking talk to me right now. <laughs> um, and so I have to, I've had to learn how to like come to peace with that. And that's been okay with me. Like, okay, I trust and I know that he loves me. He's just super pissed. And what's going to help him to chill is sleeping it off. Like, okay. that's fine. Yeah. You know? And, you know, and I think we're also in the pre-real issues phase. And I've, I have felt like this for five years, which I think is Wait, probably a good you thing. you think you haven't had real issues the last five years? Are I, you seriously downplaying ha- your problems? No, I just don't think that we've had, like, the stressors of, I guess I... I always think about like serious like familial tragedy like I we haven't had like you know like real real stuff that is I guess you're right what you've had is like living with family and like student (laughs) loans but you haven't had also have yeah yes exactly and I also have I think I will probably to some degree always be waiting for the other you know what I mean like the other foot to drop because yeah. I, I'm always like, okay, this is, you know, that, that is a tendency. And in decision-making, I have learned that about myself. But anyway, I, I think that's, yeah. I think that's one, I think this is one of those things. I really want to get this practice in place now. I think to me, how, how the advice don't go to bed angry can work for me is that I do not need to solve problems right now. Yes. And that, that's really good advice. Well, and, and you know what? You, not only do you not need to, but you can't, and so all you're doing is you can't solve everything right now, and so all you're doing is spending energy that could be better spent on other things, you know? Yeah. Like that, and that's a shitty pill to swallow. One of the things that, like, a common fear that all my patients have is that the other shoe is going to drop, and one of the really terrible <laughs> things that I have to tell them is, like, it's going to. Like Yes. <laughs> like, <right>. it will. <laughs> yes, exactly, and I think that's why I, like, I don't know. Caitlin yeah. says that I had like one of my most unhealthy, my most irrational fears is actually very rationally rooted. It's like my, and it's also a very general like fear. I I constantly worry about Caitlin dying like all the time, and it's it's bit it's an experience of my close family members having lost spouses unexpectedly at a young age, and so I worry about that all the time. Right. That's one specific area in which I can let go a little bit. You know, like, there's, oh, sorry. I was just thinking, like, in terms of worries, the vast majority of things that you worry about never happen. It's all that wasted energy. And the shit that really gets you, that really, like, pegged, like, hits you behind the knees is stuff you never saw coming, you know? So the worry can take a backseat. That's really, really true. And the worrying doesn't help. And that's where, and this is, how whoever, like, however people find comfort from, for me, that's where, like, a certain degree of faith comes in that, like, not necessarily faith in a religious context, but faith that, like, I I have faith that no matter how pissed off Mark is at me right now, that, that we're both going to be fine. I have faith that no matter what happens to any, like, one of my biggest fears, Lauren, is, like, losing one of my parents and that 
Mar- and like I know that Marcus, we're both going to lose our parents. Hopefully, we mm-hmm. lose them before we lose each other, right? Like that's right. the goal that's is to fair. lose our parents one day. And it's like it's shitty, but like I'm really afraid of it. And you know what? I have to have faith that you're going to lose your parents, and that I'm not going to have to go through it alone because I'm going to have other people in my life who've gone through the same thing. Ooh, and I like that. That helps me to be able to be okay with going to bed angry when I have to. Um, as long as I have like the faith and the acceptance and the inner peace that like emotions are important, but they're not so important that you need to sacrifice your sleep for them for God's sake. Yeah. (laughs) But I think that's also like, just to back it up a a titch, that's a good delineation between a worry and, or, a uh, preparation, a fear of, and an, a preparation and a fear of, or an anxiety of. True. That's true. Um, yeah, so because you're you're prepping for something that like that's one of those things that's going to happen for us. We Caitlin and I talk a lot about like I am a person I know 100 percent and have always known like from infancy. My mom always tells the story that when I was a little girl, like when I was a toddler, I would if I was being unreasonable, I would start crying and tell her I needed a nap because I know oh. I don't do well without sleep, and oh. I've always known that. And so sleep deprivation with child with, with yeah. like, parenthood is something I know is coming for me. I know it's going to be a struggle. And so, like, those are those are things I can, like, learn to, I can accept and and prepare for rather than, anyway, you know. No, so, you're exactly okay, right. So, pre- we prepare for things that are inevitable and we get anxious about things that are not rational, you yeah, know. And exactly. I think that that's a good delineation. Okay, what's, do you want to talk about the other one? We've yes, I do. This I have one more for today. I... I'm very, very excited. <laughs> I don't know if you can tell, but I'm I know, so and that other about. one, we've unpacked it thoroughly, and I feel like I could continue to unpack for another five years, so. <laughs> yes, absolutely. There's more to be said. Okay, Katie, I cannot tell you how excited I am. Okay, so the next piece of advice I want to tackle is, have you heard people tell you before, don't keep score? I have heard that, but I've also heard people say, that's bullshit, keep score. <laughs> okay. All right, so let's talk about this. So um, keeping score is part of relationship maintenance. So relationship maintenance is, and this is, this comes from a Psychology Today article that I actually loved, and I will tell you why. Um, relationship maintenance addresses having a positive attitude, being open to talking about your problems, assuring faithfulness, developing relationships with friends and affiliations, and sharing tasks. So those are the pieces of like relationship maintenance. Okay. Okay. Um, or at least in this, as defined in this particular article. So keeping your relationship healthy involves being able to deal with the social, interpersonal, and the chore managing. Okay. How do you feel about that so far? So I don't know. I mean, like everything, I feel like this is an absolute and I have really big, like right off the bat, I have trouble saying, um, I mean, I think that, yeah, you should score keep in those three areas, right? Like the, okay, the, wait, wait, so, we're not okay. to score keeping yet. Okay. But just how do you feel about the, the, the definition of relationship maintenance as being social, no, yes, interpersonal and, and, and managing chore? Okay. Yes, I feel good. I did too. Okay. But here's why I really like this. And I this, like that definition actually. This study is entirely same-sex relationships. Whoa! God, psychology today. So hit or miss. 
literally I know. just this a blog. <laughs> major hit. Yeah, right. Just a, just a blog. Um, but this was a, so a study that was conducted 98 same-sex couples, 39 male couples, and 59 female couples. And they were also not like your normal study participants who are usually like grad students who are just looking for a couple extra bucks. These couples ranged in age from 18 to 60 and were relationship from anywhere from 1 to 30 years. Okay. So that's like a pretty good sample size. Good for them so for they, finding some like 30-year-old gay couples to like hell yeah. participate this, in the research study. <laughs> yeah, this is a 2016 study too. Hell so, yeah, know. in 2016. Yeah. Um, so couples that experienced high levels of conflict. So basically, I guess the structure of the study is they they did day-by-day journaling and answered survey questions about their satisfaction with their partners in terms of, and their, like, they correlated the scorekeeping type right. questions in there as well. Um, so they, so couples that experienced high levels of conflict felt more negatively on a daily basis, which in turn, lend, which is shocking, isn't it? Yeah, so <laughs> which in turn led them to report their partners were lower in relationship maintenance attempts. So that's where the scorekeeping piece comes in. So if uh, you already feel um, negatively about your partner, about your relationship, then you are going to report lower attempts in, in relationship maintenance, which is all those three things that we talked about at the, at the top of this this section. Right. Um yeah, which I just thought was fascinating and, like, obviously logical and obvious. Right, but um, it was so, like, this is, I, so much grant money is spent just uh, finding evidence. Telling us what that we already know. Already knows. Yes, <laughs> yes. But, but interestingly, also, the more the couple communicated constructively, the weaker the relationship became. So, I guess the, the final. The more computer communicated constructively? So when they communicated about their relationship maintenance intent. So you would you would be answering survey questions about your overall, like, how the day was, relationship satisfaction, and then also answering questions about your partner's relationship maintenance attempts. How did they, um, you know, manage the chores? How did they manage the interpersonal? How did they manage the social relationships? And the correlations as as the couple communicated constructively, meaning, like, you know, we talk about what I mean, and I feel what like I need you to change and do differently, yes! and yes. So, like, of course, if the if we're having a lot of very peaceful conversations about like what I need from you, it's still not going to feel good. All of your conversations are about what you're not doing right. Like, does that are they trying to say that like couples that are successful just kind of like realize like, oh, you did that for me, so I'm going to do this for you, <laughs> like instead of talking about it all the time. Yeah, I think so. It's interesting. They also note that because this, the sample population is same-sex couples, um, they may be under more stress than heterosexual couples because they are could be facing discrimination, um, not, you know, not accepting. So the social pressures could either be drawing them closer together or could um, – make more tension inside the relationship because they're, they're feeling that outside too. Well, can I so, ask you this about that study from a hetero lens? And like, I'm curious about what you think about this thought that I have that yes. there might not Heard. be the first thing that I think. And yes, <laughs> I can, may I ask you a question? And this is the one that and the I'll question ask. is the one that I'd like to ask <laughs> that I'm going to ask right now. Um, I am, when I hear stuff like this, I automatically think about it through the lens of, if there's one person who's doing more communicating about, I need this from you and I, I need this from you, I immediately start thinking male and female dynamics, like a nag or a, mm-hmm. um, 
a nag or somebody who just goes along to get along or like whatever. And often these are just like feminine stereotypes, I think. But I also feel like the study with, with gay couples could almost like be a better, more honest representation of like, um, that thing, you know, like, cause you're almost, you have this social dynamic, like you have the additional pressures that come along with being a gay couple, which you have to put, like, take into consideration, but also you're taking away that other difference in, in that way, which I think you also have to t- take into consideration, too. The comp- the study just seems, like, really to have a lot of implications behind it. So your question is... My question is, like, do you think that there is a... In heterosexual couples, that there would also... That there would be maybe a gender difference or, like, a sexism mm-hmm. thing between males and females... With regards to like, I can imagine that in some heterosexual couples, maybe women would be less likely to do uh, maintenance seeking activities. I have um, interesting research about another piece of advice that we're going to talk about next week. At another time. Okay, we can put a pin in this idea. Yes, we can put a pin in it. Um, But we don't have to because I have a, so my, the, the piece of advice I want to talk about this in relationship with is the um, the yes dear phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Just to say, so I want to oh, I want to so I want to jump. Yes, yeah. Well, yes and no, and I want to jump back into that. At, at okay. <laughs> but I guess at this point, I will say there. I think it is it is to quote uh, Plessy v. Ferguson, uh, the yeah. Supreme Court. It's separate but equal. Right. You know, I yeah. think I think you have separate and equal factors going into a relationship yeah. that it has a queer identity because we are, and I do feel, I often, I was, I was talking, we were talking about some relationship stuff in front of my mom over a trip that we took this weekend. And uh-huh. my mom was like, you know, your dad and I don't do this. And I don't know. And I can't say, I'm not speaking as a gay icon, a, a gay, um, not icon. What's the word? Like a lighthouse. Like I'm not. I'm not speaking for every gay couple. <laughs> you are a gay icon, Lauren. <laughs> in, in my relationship, this is something that we have learned to do: is yeah. to talk to each other. I don't think I am in a place where I can say this is because I'm gay. Um, I think this is because I'm me and because I'm with Caitlin. And I, I don't think know that you're right. I was going to say it's because you're Lauren and you're with Caitlin. <laughs> yeah, and I yeah. and I, I don't really I can't really speak to like the the greater right. implications. Mark I and I have those meta talks too. Study. Yeah, right, right. But let's let's try to get the funding for that. Yeah, Mark and I are yeah. the same way. We talk all the time, and we're a heterosexual couple. But I also think that like um, we definitely. I don't know. I, a lot of times when I think about heterosexual couples, I think about the relationships between my parents, like my parents' generation, and the yeah. things that I heard my dad say about women and the things that I heard my dad's friends say about their wives and, like, what wives are like. And so I just think a lot about, like, oh, a lot of people think of women as nags when it comes to keeping score, you know? Yeah. Um, but I think that maybe that's just my lived experience that I'm projecting onto that, so. I don't, and I feel like this is not, I, I totally understand that that's a real, uh, that's a real part of a lot of relationships in that partic- in that generation and many generations before. But I think this scorekeeping thing shows up regardless of gender. Agreed. Because there's like, there's a like, I took the dog out last night phenomenon. And like, Caitlin and I deal with that in our own marriage. And, <laughs> And right, like, gay or straight, you, know? you have to do chores. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I, I remember, I, Caitlin and I just had a. So currently, she's like between school and job, and so I think I've kind of fallen into a pattern of expecting her to do all this stuff around the house, and she 
doesn't love that. And I think it's totally fair that she doesn't. And it's obviously a communication issue and figuring out how, how I frame my expectations and how we communicate through it. But I feel like we get into that, that the scorekeeping pattern and she's like well I did this 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 and this and in my head I'm like but I went to work today and like we have like a 1950s marriage right you know like in some in some instances and this is funny it's a funny part of our lives because it's very temporary um but I think this is something that is a natural part of relationships it's a natural part of task sharing it's a natural part of you do the same shit at work you know what I mean like I did this why can't this person do their job yeah you're right and I think that maybe just like the sexism sometimes gets put on it because of like the traditional roles that have been taken but ultimately if you boil it down it's really just like the natural thing that happens with task sharing is that scorekeeping needs to, you know, and when I think about scorekeeping, I used to think that that advice, well, can I talk about that advice yet? Or am I allowed or no? Absolutely. Yeah. I used to think that that advice was like bad because I thought that it was about like literally like, okay, you did the dishes tonight. So I do them tomorrow. Or you did the dishes three days this week. So I do them three days next week. But now I think it's just kind of like keeping an eye out for are you pulling your weight in this relationship? Yes. And that is, and then, and you know what? With, with, an, with a faith that you sometimes will not be, and that your job is to just say, hey, you're not pulling your weight, and like just adjust and calibrate. Like, yeah, that's all it is. It's about making sure that you're pulling your weight. I love it. I actually pulled a quote from a mommy blogger whose, her blog is called I Mom. <laughs> Uh, anyway, um, but she says one reason the ha- that happy couples are so happy is that in ca- instead of keeping score of how much they are doing and feeling resentful because of it, they instinctively track what the other person is giving. Mm-hmm. It's and about, that's the thing you can track. It's about an abundance mindset instead of a scarcity mindset. You know, like, it's about focusing on gratitude. Although I'll tell you that, like, I've been also trying to be aware. It's it's about, it just all comes back to being an emotionally intelligent spouse. That, like, I have been aware recently, we don't have a dishwasher. We do all of our dishes, and we cook a lot. So we do all of our dishes by hand. And we don't have a dishwasher, we cook a lot, and we're really into sustainability. So we, we have dishes constantly. So... I know that Mark gets tired of doing the dishes and because I cook most of the meals, Mark ends up doing most of the dishes. And because I've been able to tell that recently he's been getting exasperated with them, I'm just going to make a little note of that. And I've been trying to step it up in the dish doing department just because like, it seems like he could use some help. And that's, so I'm keeping score on myself. Am I being a good enough spouse? Like, am I, that's another, so it's keep score. And like, I love a combination of both things. Like, Keep score on yourself. Am I being good enough? And keep score on them. What are they doing that is good enough? You know? Yeah. Because we're going to naturally look for the things that aren't good enough. Yeah. And I think it would be a mistake. <laughs> so, okay. In summation, if you throw out the baby with the bathwater in, in all the in marriage advice, I think there is some kernel of truth. And it's the same with the go to bed angry and with don't keep score. There are piece of this, pieces of this advice that are true and there are things that you need to understand. There's like a nuance behind. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think keeping score is one of those. You need to understand that you're not keeping score of the other person's faults. Right. Um, have, have you read A Wrinkle in Time? Oh, gosh, when I was in, like, fourth grade. Okay. Uh, so I'm reading, I'm reading it with my fourth graders currently. Yes. <laughs> and uh, they are, the the children are doing, like, this big 
fantastical mission, and they're given a talisman, like, strengths um, to help them on their mission, and Meg is given her faults. And I love that. Like, you are given your faults to help you complete this. And that's, I think that comes into play when you're talking about keeping score. You don't, you you have your faults with you, and you don't need to, um, that's, that's who you are. That's part of who you are. That's not the thing the other person needs to keep score of. But right. if you can flip that narrative and, and make it make sure that you're being an equal partner, that's really important. Yes. Because how often do you see that couple who you're like, that other person is not contributing, yep. you know, or at least yeah. in And if you have two people that are always asking each other, if both people are always saying, am I doing enough? Am I doing enough th- to themselves? Then there's no way that that's going to like, there's a whole difference that like, it's completely different than both people saying, are they doing enough? Are they like, you just bring a different yes. attitude. Like yes. you're bringing a different attitude. You're bringing a different, like an attitude of service and, and an attitude of wanting to do better and an attitude of love versus an attitude of suspicion and, um, and scarcity, you know? And yeah. it's for me, the other thing is that when I am scanning for, if I'm doing enough and then I start doing more, I often get like, I reap the rewards of that. You yeah. Know what I mean? Are you? Is we talk about this a lot, like about the other the things that the other the other person wants us to do that seem ridiculous to one of our one party. Yeah. It's like, are, is our life going to ultimately be better because we're doing this? Yes. Yeah. You know, right. it's a net positive. Like it's a net positive for me. I really do not like. Uh, okay, I'll give you an example. I recently redecorated our bathroom and did like a super Pinteresty thing and took all the labels off of all of our lotions and soaps. I know what all of our lotions and soaps are because I'm a girl and this is what girls learn during our childhood, that what lotions <laughs> and soaps look like. Mark needs the labels, but because I think that our bathroom looks better without the lotion, the labels on the lotions and soaps, Mark is just like going to have a happier marriage without it, you know? Like, <laughs> it's just, and that's okay. Like, that's just, and it's not, I'm not saying that to be silly. I'm saying that, like, Mark is actually, like, that is a hill that he's not going to die on, you know? Yes, <laughs> right. And and it also is just, it's such a gesture of goodwill to you. It's like, I, it's a recognition that this thing that makes zero sense to me is important to you, and I love you enough that that matters. Yes, 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 yes. Well, even last night, I was trying to get him to watch Game of Thrones with me out on the patio because it was so gorgeous, and he was like, no, we're not going to watch it on the patio, like, that will not be comfortable. And I said, okay, that's fine, but will you just admit that it's nicer outside than it is inside our apartment? And he was like, yeah, I will fully admit that it is nicer outside than it is right. inside. Like that's just, yeah. It's it's not about win. It's not about winning. It's not about being like what is that? Is that another Gretchenism? It's not about being right. It's about being effective. Like you don't. I don't. Maybe it's not. But like it's not about being right. It's not about winning. It's about it's it's a long marriage, y'all. Yeah, it is. And and you don't need to keep score because ultimately you're on the same team. Right. It's more about like the ebbs and the flows and the waves and like the squiggly line effect that like sometimes you'll be perfect with each other and sometimes you'll be tense with each other. But over time, it, it evens out, you know? Right. Just keep an eye on it. <laughs> <laughs> keep an eye on it. You know, relax, like but not too much. Exactly, exactly. Gray area. That's the theme of this episode. This episode should be called Gray Area. Gray Area Thinking. I like it. All right. Um, I'm I'm so excited. I cannot wait to talk more about this. I know. Me too. We can talk forever. What are you recommending? My recommendation for this week is um, the Netflix documentary, Knock Down the House, 
Oh, so good. Yes. Okay. So that's, this is, if you're not familiar, it just is, a, it was like a recently like added to Netflix, um, premiered at the Sundance last, last, or actually this, this January. Um, it follows the camp, the primary campaigns for a bunch of women that are running for Congress, Alexandria Acacia. Cortez, Ocasio-Cortez, Amy Valella, Cori Bush, Paula Jeans, Swearingen, um, and they talk about their journey, and it's really, really fascinating. Spoiler alert, not all of them, um, like, got, that were elected from their, pri- or, like, got the primary spot, um, but it's this really fascinating to see. This is we all voted. We all yes, know. Yes, like, we sure hope. Um, so it's just really interesting to see how things, and even, like, there's a, a concession phone call that happens between Amy Valella and uh, AC, AOC, and you hear her on the phone say, hey, it's not until 100, 100 of us try that one of us gets in. Um, but just, like, heart heartbreaking and, and joyous in so many ways, and I genuinely... I was watching it while Caitlin was studying. Yeah, and complicated. And I was watching it while Caitlin was studying. She just looks over and I was like, I had tears streaming down my face. I thought it was beautifully done. I'm a big documentary film lover. Um, I used to, I took a couple of documentary filmmaking class, classes in college and somewhat fancied myself a documentary filmmaker because I love the idea that people can make a single story about the thing that is so important to them and just... It, because it's like a taking a bad class with a good professor. Yeah. It's, it's like that person's passion is so apparent. Yeah. Um, and that's what I love about documentaries in general and also specifically about Knockdown House. This is a really good one. I mm-hmm. The scenes of her like trying to pump her confidence up before she goes and kills it like Amazing. really inspired me. It made me feel like, oh, gosh, we're all like insecure girls that go out and like act brave you know, sometimes. So that's, yeah, yeah it's really good. Uh, good recommendation, Lauren. Um, I am recommending Thanks. the book, How to Change Your Mind by Michael Pollan that I just finished reading. Michael Pollan of like the omnivore's dilemma and in defense of food and cooked fame. He has um, recently shifted his interest from Although he still is interested in from the world of um, farming and gardening and cooking to the world of psychedelics. Um, And uh, yeah, and this book um, specifically about um, new waves of research of how to use psychedelics in clinical settings. And he this book is part um, historical nonfiction, um, part, um, well, part nonfiction about the history of psychedelics, part nonfiction about the people who are currently doing the research on psychedelics in clinical settings, and part what he calls a travelogue, which is basically his memoirs of his um, four or five experiences on different psychedelics and the okay. different the different experiences with them. And what is fascinating about this is that they are, um, the scientific and medical and psychiatric community are finding applications for, um, certain psychedelics like LSD and psilocybin or psilocybin, which is like magic mushrooms for treatment resistant depression, for addiction and for what they call like existential fear. So people, cancer patients, um, people who are afraid of dying and afraid of death. Yeah. And they are having 
incredibly promising results. And from these promising results, they are thinking about like, you know, there's, they're increasing clinical trials for use of this in clinical settings, but also they're learning a lot about how we can maybe take the teachings from these trials and apply them without the use of these drugs. And, or uh, they would say the use of these medicines, I shouldn't, they wouldn't want me to stigmatize them by using the word drug. Um, Mm -hmm. But how we can learn from that to help people come to terms with mortality, to help people get over addictions, to help people with depression. Um, It is a fascinating read that like, I've, it's just had me thinking for, I actually, to be honest, have been listening to it on tape for a few weeks and I just finished it and it's just had me thinking for several weeks. Um, it is not about, it, it is not a book about glorifying drugs. It is amazing. It is really so fascinating. So could not recommend it highly enough. Now, um, when you say you're listening on tape. What I mean is via audiobook. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yes. What I mean is on um, an A-track tape and my boombox. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. boy. I do remember those days, though. Yeah, okay. Right? Well, you and me are so... This week, we have some intellectual recommendations. <laughs> yeah, we sure do, which is shocking considering the things that are going on in our personal lives. <laughs> yeah. You and me are... We're especially... We're ultra super women this week doing a lot yeah. in our personal lives and on top of that we have highbrow taste so you heard it here first you heard it here first okay girl i think we did it we did it find us on instagram find us on or send us an email at how do i spouse at gmail.com um send us our recommendations tell me tell us uh what you think what is the most common marriage advice you've heard is what's the best what's the worst how have you used it yeah, yeah, please unpack it for us um, and just get, or send us something and say, like, um, we want your hot take. Like, give us your intense opinion and we will try to unpack it for you. Hell yeah. We're, we're happy to litigate. All, All right. right. We spouse. We spouse. I love you. I love you too. Bye.